Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teacher's Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and wellbeing in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers, including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With schools across all four home nations due to close on Monday the 19th of September, as part of the plans for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II, much of this week's news is set to focus on issues away from reflections and remembrance of the UK's longest serving monarch. In Scotland, the largest teaching union has voted to go on strike in a dispute over pay. The Educational Institute of Scotland, known as EIS, rejected a 5% pay offer following a ballot. The EIS announced on Friday the 16th of September that 91% of the responses to the consultative ballot had voted in favour of strike action. 94% of votes were also in favour of rejecting the 5% pay offer. 78% of all union members responded to the ballot. The union, which represents 8 out of 10 Scottish teachers, will reject the offer next week and move to a statutory ballot on strike action. EIS General Secretary said, Teachers have simply had enough of the year-on-year struggle to achieve a fair pay settlement. She went on to say that 5% offer represents a real-terms cut of 7%. Scottish teachers have previously been offered rises of 2% and 3.5% before the offer of 5%. The AIS said teachers' request for 10% was fair and reasonable. The Times has released its 2023 Good University Guide, with many media outlets from across the home nations reporting on the standings. With student debt now averaging around £50,000, it's more important than ever that young people research and find the right institution and course for them. The list includes profiles of 135 universities across Britain, and uses data published by institutions in the last two months. The University of Bath is named University of the Year. Whilst it ranks 8th in the overall list, up from 9th in 2021, it won the award due to its strength across the board. Exeter was runner-up in this category, with Birmingham, Oxford and Surrey also shortlisted. Whilst Oxford misses out on the University of the Year award, it has again topped the league table, a position it has held for the past 12 years. St Andrews in Scotland was ranked second. 
Durham University was named Sports University of the Year thanks to its collegiate structure which encourages high levels of participation. The full list can be found by subscribing to the Times website. And finally, 250 former students at Bedford's Training College were awarded honorary degrees and reunited by the University of Bedfordshire this week. The graduates, now in their 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, attended the college between 1940 and 1978. The college, known in later years as the Bedford College of Physical Education, held a special ceremonies to celebrate sport and lifelong learning through physical activity. Most of the recipients have taught PE in schools, universities and local communities over the decades. In a week where service to others has been at the forefront of reflections about Her Majesty the Queen, the college has recognised the service and dedication of its former students. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about a social media post we regularly see. It goes something like this. I'm trying to show my class the reach of social media. Please reply with where you are in the world. Personally, I love this post and to honour it, I'm going to try it myself with a slight twist. I'm going to use the insert 3D map in Excel to show all of the places in the reply on a map of the world. It's so easy to do. You simply put a title in a new column, for example, towns, and then add all of the place names below. Finally, click insert and choose 3D map. If it's the first time you're using it, you'll need to follow a few prompts to get it working, but you'll be greeted with a 3D map of the world with a little square pinning all of the places you typed in. If you don't use Excel, don't worry. You can do the same in Google Maps by clicking on directions and adding every place as a waypoint on a journey. This is a great way of showing pupils the reach of social media posts in a way that they can visualize. I'll post the final map next week so you can use it with your pupils and save you a job. So what are you waiting for? Reply to my tweet or tell at TT Radio 2022 where you you are and tag me in at Steve Woods one to one. Next week, I'll post the results. TZ Radio 2022. Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. I hope you don't mind. So this is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday afternoon show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 18th of September, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is back to school. Welcome. So first, good afternoon, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 16th radio show as a hostess, and I'm delighted to share this exciting experience in your beloved company. But first, I have to introduce myself to any new listeners. I am a French citizen of French West African ancestry, and I have lived in the UK since 2008. I'm a professional educator. I currently work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach languages as well as humanities. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on Twitter at ProfProfMFL, all views are my own. So today I would like to share a topic that is very contemporary and very relevant to anyone in September, and that is the topic of 
going back to school. So obviously for those who are working in Scotland or in other uh, Northern European countries, you might have started school almost a month ago already. But for most of people based in the United Kingdom, that is to say in Wales and England and Northern Ireland, you might just have started the first week of teaching in front of the students. So I just want to talk about what's going on in schools at the moment, what sort of climate we're on, and might, I might share with some of the listeners if they are trying to talk to us today via the chat function. So today's topic, back to school, this is mostly relevant to any educators working in a school, anyone who has children who go to school, and also the curious and savvy who are interested in education. So first, I wanted to share with you some facts and figures. Let's start with some numbers. Um, according to the Department for Education, there are more than 9 million students in the United Kingdom who are in schools. This is data from the end of 2021. The number of school is approximately 24,000 and there is a slight increase in the number of school by 41. The average class size in the United Kingdom is 26.7 students. So let's bear in mind this is an average. Um, and also the percentage of pupils who are receiving free school meals is 22.5% of these 9 million students we talked about. So now, for those who might not be particularly familiar with the um, educational system in the UK or with the benefit system of the UK government, let us talk about what free school meal mean. So free school meal is a government help that is given to families. 22.5% of pupils get free school meals when they go to school, which means they do not pay for their lunch. This is a 2% increase, more or less, compared to the end of 2021. So this represents approximately 1.9 million children who receive a free lunch. Now, most of these children have families that are answering a specific list of criteria. So the list is quite exhaustive. There is income support job seekers allowance, income-related employment and support allowance. Some people receive it as a article part six of the Immigration and Asylum Act, um, some state pension credit, people in receiving of child tax credit, working tax credit, or universal credit. So these are all the government helps that give an entitlement, an entitlement to the families who are receiving free school meals. Now, as far as universal credit is concerned, a family will be receiving it if their income is less than £7,400 £7, a year. So let's try and imagine £7,400 a year as a total year income for a family. So it is quite a low um, income. Now, the number of pupils eligible has increased. 
it might be due to COVID, it might be due to Brexit, it might be due to general um, energy bill rising and maybe people losing their jobs. What we need to know is that it concerns a lot of students. It is, it is important to have that in mind. Now, it depends on the school you work at. As an educator, in my current school, more than 65% of the students are uh, receiving a free school meal. And this has a direct impact on the school budget because it means if, as a teacher, you want to organize a school trip, you might need to ask your school to pay for the coach and for the trip because many families will not be able to afford the extra cost of the school trip. So in schools with a high number of children who are receiving free school meals, you might end up having uh, less school trips organized because the school doesn't have an extra budget or the teachers are reluctant to organize something because they know that most children won't be able to afford it if the budget of the school can't stretch that far. So it has a direct impact on the quality of teaching offer at times. Now, if we look at figures over the last seven years, in 2015, there was less than 15% of the general students who were receiving free school meals. And um, I would say it decreased in 2017. So we were going down in that number. And then from 2018, it started going up. So it reached 15% and now we are above 20%. So since 2017, the number of children receiving free school meals has been on the increase, which is a sign of deterioration of the general situation, the financial situation of our students in the UK. So this is painting quite a gloomy landscape because if we think about this, it means that 22% of our UK student population lives in households that might receive less than £8,000 a year as an income. That is very little. Can I remind you that the average uh, income is around £20,000 to £25,000 a year. So around 7000 is way, way inferior than that. So because I want to be realistic, I'm going to mention as well that there is a lot of press at the moment. If you read the newspapers, a lot of articles written about the state of our school finances. I found the latest one uh, on Saturday, the 17th of September. We have Sally Wheel, who is the education correspondent of The Guardian, and she wrote an article entitled schools urge parents to help plug funding gaps as costs soar so we might be tempted as a school to ask for parents to pay more for furniture for resources or for school trips but the problem is as i explained 20 percent 22 percent of our students are living in families that have already a very low income so asking them to help is counterproductive because they might not be able to do that at all. So this is a general uh, landscape I'm painting that is quite gloomy. Now, in that article written by Sally Wheel, she's quoting um, a finance director from a school and he doesn't want to um, share his name and the name of his school. But this finance director says, the electricity bill in the trust has jumped from 
£122,000 a year to £522,000 a year as part of a new two-year deal. So that massive hike in gas prices has been very, very high as well, not just the electricity bill. Uh, the finance director of that school says the gas price has gone from 32000 all the way to 252000 So for those who are like me, not so good at mathematics, the finance director calculated a 671% increase. I repeat, a 671% increase in gas prices for his school. So we can imagine the sheer dread that all school finance directors are facing in this month of September, facing these humongous increases in their uh, finances. So this is just to warm and warm the, the rooms in the schools and maybe provide hot water for washing hands. This is basic human needs, housing and heated housing. Now, we know some families are going to have to choose between eating and heating this winter, but we underestimate the fact that schools might have to choose between heating or having the electricity on. So it's still in that same article published in The Guardian, there is the president of the National Association of Head Teacher, Mr. Gosling, who is expecting his energy bills to double in his current school. And it, he says that it will create a deficit in his budget of £10,000. So now Mr. Gosling says, and I quote, if anything happens now, we are in a very precarious state. If a boiler goes down or something needs repairing, we've got nothing in the tank. So I don't like to paint a depressing picture, but as I said, it is important to be realistic. And this is an unprecedented situation we're facing because we have had since 2010 and the election of David Cameron as Prime Minister, we've had 12 years of austerity and budget cuts in education, in state school education. And now we're facing a global energy crisis, which will, which will affect the way students are feeling once in the classroom. Imagine if we can't put the heating on. And I just want you to, to remember that we were supposed to leave the windows open for most of the last two years due to COVID being an airborne disease, a respiratory disease. And now, although we seem to forget that the pandemic is still happening, we need to think about what we're going to choose to do this winter. Are we going to keep the windows open to increase ventilation? Or are we going to close the windows because we can't afford to put the heating on? So this is what we are thinking at the moment. Shutting windows, airing the room versus keeping the energy prices um, or keeping gas bill low. This is a very difficult question. And I want to raise that today because I'm a teacher who spends most of my time in the classroom and I leave my windows open for many reasons, but mostly for making sure the room is ventilated. And also anyone who spent an hour and a half with 30 teenage students in a small room will let you know that 
having the windows open is essential. So saving energy, preventing the spreading of respiratory diseases, this is the dilemma I'm going to have to face in the coming weeks this month. Now, because I want to give you some facts, I have been on the um, government website that shows the number of people who are vaccinated in the UK. So 93.5% of the UK population has received their first dose um, against the COVID, COVID virus. 88% have received their second dose, and now 69% are receiving their booster or third dose, which is very good news. But that's for the population over 12 years old. So this, con this concerns secondary schools only. Now, the problem is that there's still a high number of people who test positive. For instance, in the last seven days, and I'm including all the way from uh, the 3rd of September to the 10th, there was 24,000 people who, were, who tested positive uh, in the last seven days. The number of deaths is decreasing, but there was still 327 deaths recorded after within 28 days of a positive test in England. And the number of patients in hospitals in England is 3,434 in the last seven days. And the last date is the 12th of September for that data. So although there's less cases, there's still people dying, there's still people testing positive. So this is the gloomy, gloomy picture I have to paint today in this glorious afternoon of sunshine. What are the teaching union doing after, uh, uh, about this? So we have two main unions in the UK, for those who do not live in the UK. We have the NYU and the NASUWT. One is the National Education Union and the other is the Teachers Union. So these two biggest um, union for teachers are preparing a strike. They want to um, get a better wage, they want to get better wage for their teachers, and they also are worried about the working conditions of teachers. So we have trouble on the markets globally, we have energy prices going up uh, to unprecedented uh, heights, we have a pandemic that is still raging, even though we don't talk about it in the media anymore. And we have students who are increasingly struggling financially. So now that I've depressed you, and I apologize for that, what can teachers do? Teachers are pragmatic. Teachers are willing to do a lot for their students. And teachers think on their feet. So. My first advice would always be get information. And this is why I'm active on social media, because I find that sometimes I get information on Twitter way before um, the news on the BBC or on other um, media outlets. So inform yourself, follow people who are professionals on, on social media, and also make sure you pay attention to many, many, many aspects of what's going on in this world. So I follow a lot of people on social media from different countries. I follow people in America, Canada, 
um, in Russia, in Ukraine. I follow people everywhere, people who are virologists, teachers, medics, nurses, because I want to know what's going on on the ground. And this is why I usually can make my, my own informed opinion. As a teacher, it's also great to think outside the box and to question the information you're given. So my advice would be, if your school is considering maybe ordering new computers or going complete, completely digital, as uh, some schools have visited in the past, now might not be the best time to buy new gear. I would say it might be better to focus on making sure we are comfortable in the, in the classroom. And as, as much as I use technology and I'm using technology to talk with you today, I think buying new computers might be put on the on the side and maybe organizing school trips rather or uh, making a good use of the resources we already have is more important. Now, I mentioned school trips because this is something I've uh, heard a lot from my students. This year started very well. My students have all been saying, Miss, are you going to take us on a school trip? So obviously I'm facing budget difficulties in my school. I think we're all facing budget difficulties in our private homes as well. But I don't want to let my students down because I'm thinking they have had COVID. They have had many months missed where they could have been socializing with friends and they need to have these experiences. They need to do uh, school trips in England, museum trips, park, picnic trips, and also maybe abroad. So I wouldn't let the gloomy picture I painted deter you from trying to organize a school trip. My advice is plan for the best, but pre be prepared for the worst. So even though you know there's going to be problems with heating and pro problems with repairing things in the classroom or in the building, try and make plans for the future. So if you're struggling with budgets, and is, if, as you know, in my school, we have 65% of children on free school meals, so their parents can't really afford a school trip, look for sponsors. Surprisingly, there's lots of companies who made a lot of benefits during uh, the COVID pandemic, and these companies are sitting on a lot of extra money. So why not just applying for these companies to sponsor a school trip. Um, my advice is try locally first and then nationally. And you might be surprised. Also contact some embassies or some institutions, religious institutions maybe. Just do not hesitate to ask for help and um, you might be surprised. The worst thing you can get as a teacher is a no thank you or no sorry. That's fine. So there is a great website, um, funded.org.uk, funded.org.uk, that gives you a run through of all the ways you can get extra money, extra cash to um, fund your, your trips and your projects for your school. I'm saying this is maybe the best time because it is a difficult month. We just started the year. We're only going back to normal in our time. We just, we still have the glow of the holidays, but the reality is hitting us fast. And yet we need to project ourselves to have a little bit of hope. So I'm making a call today. 
educators, don't let the gloomy picture put you down. Try and think for the future. 2023 is around the corner. Let's try and organize some fun school trips. Despite the budget pressure, despite the gloom and doom, please have a bit of hope. Look at it. September is the best time to try and organize um, a fundraiser, a school trip. So let's check out this website. Now, one other thing I noticed is that we are sometimes forgetting that we can't always take the students out of the classroom, but we can take the students. We can invite someone to come and talk to the students. So if you can't bring the students to the outside world, bring the outside world in. Um, and there's been a bit of a Twitter storm lately, I noticed, in North London about some school inviting people who are very, um, shall I say, controversial. So I like to be controversial myself. And if there is a company I could advise you to invite in your school, it's the CND. So let me talk to you more about the CND because I think they are amazing and they are, they might be controversial, but I think they deserve to be um, given a little bit of spotlight. So this CND stands for Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. It is a non-violent campaign, campaigning group set in the UK that wants to achieve British nuclear disarmament. So what does that mean? British nuclear disarmament. Well, it's the idea that um, the UK should not buy or create or sell nuclear weapons. And the UK should not get involved in the nuclear weapon system. I'll give you an example. We have Trident, which is um, um, UK government property, part of the military, and it harbors nuclear weapons. So the CND campaigns against the use of Trident and against the use of nuclear weapons. Now, we know it's a bit naive to think that by getting rid of nuclear weapons, um, the threat of nuclear armament would stop. We know it's a global issue, but the CND thinks we should start with the UK and then ask for a global nuclear weapons ban. So why am I mentioning uh, the CND because I think they would be a great group to invite to talk to your students. I value free speech and I think children should be exposed to many different groups as long as they are non-violent and they are in, um, in line with the British values. So the CND offers free school visits and they are usually lovely people. I've met um, some of them. They came to my university when I was at university and they offer a workshop where they talk about the history of uh, nuclear weapons, the damage they can inflict, the economy behind nuclear armament and the, the just the issue, the political issue of having a nuclear weapon system. So, just for the good news, the CND, which is a grassroots organization, has been campaigning for many years, but they won in uh, January 2021. They won um, the Nobel Peace Prize because they are part of a campaign called the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. 
Um, what an enterprise. Um, I think it's worth celebrating. So if you want a little bit of variety, if you can't afford a school trip, if you want to plan something exciting to just give you some hope about the world and to give your students some idea of what nuclear armament represents. Uh, I think inviting the CND is essential. I'm not saying that just at random. We know that in Ukraine at the moment, the biggest nuclear station is being threatened by um, the Russian army. So it is important that our students are aware of the risk of uh, nuclear armament and are aware also of, of the risk of nuclear stations. Um, as I said, the CND is only trying to ban nuclear weapons. It's not trying to ban, to ban nuclear stations that create energy. So I think it's, it's a great thing to plan and a great thing to organize for your schools if you want to have visitors because you can't always afford school trips. So, as I said earlier, today I wanted to talk about being back to school. Why? Well, it was my first week this week, back to school in front of the students. I don't usually count the, the days we have when we prepare our classroom or when we have training sessions with only colleagues. And it, it's a funny time when you go back in a school and the building is empty of children because there's only adults in there. It's always a very uncanny atmosphere with very quiet corridors and all these empty rooms with empty seats. It's very eerie. It's also very relaxing. Don't give me don't get me wrong. So I'm not mentioning these days without the students. But last Monday was the first day facing my new classes. So what would I say about this first week? It's always a shock to the system because during the school holidays, this is the time when teachers can really get all the stress of their working life out through the window and relax. So it's going to take us time to go back on the, on the hamster wheel. So this week is always a little bit like a slap, I would say, a physical slap. It's a shock to the system. Now, how do I cope? with that back to school um, feeling. Well, first, I insist on the fact that it was gradual. We were in the classroom on our own with our students for a few days. So it was nice to just be territorial and install our classroom and make it look nice and friendly and welcoming and make sure everything was at its right place. But once the students came last Monday, I have to say my main focus was and I think it's, it should be the main focus for most teachers in secondary schools, it was having a strict routine. I'm not particularly very well organized as a person. My house is not particularly well organized, but my classroom has to be. And the reason why is because it's a public place. I share this space with many other people. I share my classroom with other teachers, I share my classroom with teaching assistants and I share my classroom with students. Some students I know and teach and some students that I don't. So I make sure my room is a welcoming space that has a positive vibe about it. So 
I make sure it's it's inviting, but also make sure it's organized and it's not cluttered because I think clutter has a negative um, influence on our mind and well-being. So having a clean, tidy classroom is essential. I keep the displays tidy. They are displays, but there's not. It's not like the Royal Academy of Arts in the Victorian times when you had walls covered in in paintings. It's a little bit more subdued than that. Now, I insist on a strict routine because I believe we need to be inclusive. So my space is welcoming and my method is inclusive. And when I say inclusive, I mean, I have students with um, special educational needs. Uh, it might be very different needs. It might be dyslexia, dyspraxia, it might be physical uh, disabilities, hearing issues, um, sight issues. It might be, uh, students who have uh, complicated skin um, issues and also children with neurodivergence and children with ADHD or ADD. Now, obviously, these are all very different special educational needs. But what I noticed that benefits to all, to students who have special educational needs and to students who don't, it's a strict, reliable routine. And I think it helps the teachers and the teaching assistants too. So my advice is always try and find out what is your routine and stick to it. We all teach differently. We all like things different. But as a teacher, be consistent, persistent and follow your own routine. Devise it, practice it for a year, and then use it. And why change it if it works? So the strict routine is the cornerstone of any lesson I'm preparing. And I try to use them in different subjects. As I told you at the beginning, I teach humanities and languages. So whether it's a French, Spanish, geography, or history lesson, I follow a similar process and a similar template to my lessons. I always start by setting my room with a sitting plan. I'm not doing this because I like controlling so much, although sometimes I do. But let's be honest, a sitting plan is essential when you have big class sizes. My biggest class size this year, remember it was 26.4 students for the average class size in the UK, in the figures I gave you earlier. Now, my biggest class is 32 students. And my smallest class is 24. So I, you, you can see I'm, I'm a little bit above the national average. So my advice is have a seating plan. Now, the way you organize a seating plan doesn't matter. What matters is that you have access to it before every lesson. So the way I do it is very analog. Um, old fashioned, you could say, maybe. So I use labels. I make little labels with cardboard paper. I use a color code. So for each class year, I use a different color. So let's say year seven are blue, year eight are another color. On these labels, I write the name of each student and these labels I keep for the whole year. So I make it clear to my students, don't write on these labels, don't damage it, don't chew them. These are the, the strange sentences teachers have to say sometimes. So I make sure the students respect the labels because they're school property, you know, 
the it's the school budget that pays for these cardboard um so i make sure we use these labels all throughout the year now the beauty of using paper label is that you can always have it with you even if you change classroom and also if your computer system is down or if your computer um, is not working because it happens regularly if you can't log on or um, if there's an issue paper it's is there so that's why i say i'm a bit analog i have my sitting plan on on these labels and also the beauty of not having the sitting plan on a software or on a powerpoint slide is that i can change it at the drop of a hat so if i notice that little johnny is a little bit distracted today i can just move his label and amend my sitting plan on the spot so i would always advise to try the paper label if you don't mind being a bit analog but if you prefer one on the slide that you show on a computer that's absolutely fine now i use a boy girl pairing per my per table again you might call me old-fashioned but i noticed that there's still a very big separation between boys and girls they don't always play together so if i want to avoid a lot of chatting and a lot of you know noise in my classroom if i make sure there's a boy and a girl sitting together um it's easier for me and also when we do pair work, it means that they're going to talk to someone they don't usually talk to, which I think is also quite inclusive. I would always advise to avoid similar profiles together. So if you have a very boisterous students, don't put them together, change your label um, position or your sitting plan. And sometimes I feel like a Tetris uh, player because I have to amend my sitting plan at every lesson. I'm trying so many combinations, trying to put the most boisterous students at the far corners of the room. It's a Tetris game, but as I said, this is essential. This is the cornerstone. Before you start your lesson, make sure your sitting plan is solid. Now, also to be inclusive, um, <laughs> I'm gonna remind you that some children, because they have special educational needs, need to be um sat next to the aisle so that you can walk to them very quickly if they need you and also you might just uh, be able to talk to them privately on a one-to-one -one basis so make sure they are easily um accessible and also make sure you put the shortest children at the front and the tallest children at the back because let's be honest um size matters in that way i have sometimes students who are very tiny and i see them sat at the at the back of the classroom it doesn't make sense so to be inclusive you need to make sure everybody can see you and your board and also make sure that the students who are um sometimes find noise and uh, lights uh, have sensory issues make sure that they are in maybe a quieter part of your classroom as an effort to be inclusive. I was promoting labels on cardboard because I'm old fashioned, find your own way. Just remember your sitting plan needs to be always accessible. It needs to be always on the board if when the students come into the class and you need to be able to change it very quickly. So whatever way, make it easy to use for yourself. As I said, 
this is how you start the year in a positive manner. So first, your classroom is a welcoming space. It's tidy, it's decluttered, and it feels like you want to spend time in it. Um, displays are great. I don't mind displays. I just don't want an overload. So I have um, three displays in my classroom and I try to get rid of anything else otherwise. Now, any lesson I start with, because I want to be clear and simple, I do my classroom rules. So I use my template for my lesson planning and it's always the same template. And there's the classroom rules at the beginning. My classroom rules are simple and it's on one slide. So at every lesson, I ask a student to volunteer for reading and usually I get a volunteer. It's rare I don't get a volunteer. And this student is gonna read these classroom rules. So I'm gonna read them to you very quickly just for you to see how simple they are. I work in silence unless the teacher has asked me a question. I put my hand up if I have a question to ask. I am polite to my teacher and to my classmates. I do my homework. I bring all my belongings to each lesson and the belongings are listed underneath planner, workbook, pencil case with pencil, pen, rubber, ruler, highlighter, glue and water bottle. That's it. That's my classroom rules. So you might find it a little bit obvious. You might find it a little bit redundant, but I make a student read it at every lesson at the beginning. Now, if it's a language lesson, I also have the same classroom rule slide translated. So I have it in Spanish and I have it in French. And very often I'm gonna ask a, a volunteer to read them in the language we're practicing. So it's lovely to hear them pronouncing it. They would say something like, je travaille en silence, which in, I mean, with a French accent would be like, je travaille en silence. Anyway, Every lesson starts the same way. First eating plan and then classroom rules. I know it's boring to repeat the same thing, but I would say it's part of being a teacher. You have to feel like a parrot repeating the same thing. The only thing is this time it's a student saying it because the student is reading it. So once we have established or reminded the students of the classroom rules, I have another piece of advice to make sure this is a positive start of the lesson. I do check if everybody has their material. I check if they have their workbook and their planner. It's a, it, it takes me maybe 10 seconds. I just look and they should have it on their desk. Now, I know we've had many, many social media storms about landing pens or not. I'm not gonna go into that. Um, everybody has their own ways of doing things. But the only thing we can agree is that everybody should have their equipment. Now, the other thing we need to agree on is resilience and persistence. And this is something sometimes exhausted teachers forget. But remember, this is a back to school discussion today. And it is about starting the year in a positive manner. Yes, it's a tough year. Yes, the general landscape in this world and in this country is pretty gloomy, but in my classroom, as I said, I want it to be a safe space, an inclusive space, a positive space. So I want to make sure everybody is ready to learn, which means I need to keep track on who has their equipment and not. And 
I, I usually share equipment with the students who have forgotten their equipment, but there is also consequences for those who are um, very forgetful and do that often. Now, because I keep track, and I'm going to say something that might also be controversial or might sound exaggerated. Now, we are all using softwares to check attendance or to log on information in our schools. Most of them are, it might be different, but most of the schools I've worked at, we use one called Sims. Now I would advise any trainee teacher or new teacher or any teacher wants to start the year with new habits, new positive habits. I'm gonna advise them to not just rely on this software. And this is my, um, my personal experience. I have been talking to different teachers and to union representatives, and I would advise any teacher to keep a teacher planner with the class list. And I would advise them to write down who's here, who's in the classroom, who's not, who's done their homework and who has done just for your own protection. And this is the sad part of being a worker in 2022 in uh, Western country is that even though you use software to record everything, you need to remember that there are other members of staff who can amend your entries on the softwares. So this has happened to people I know. So I'm going to advise you to not rely constantly on these softwares and make sure you keep your own data. Why? Because some people amend the the software i'll give you an example you are marking a student absent because the student is not in your classroom now that student might be with another member of staff that student might be having a one-on-one -on -one tuition with a mentor that student might be doing an intervention it might be a basketball practice or anything but the student is not with you in your classroom now if you mark the student absent the attendance officer is gonna amend what you did and mark the, the student present because the student is in the building because the student is with some other member of staff. My issue, and I'm advising any teacher to be aware of that, is because the attendance officer can change the marking you did in your register, if something happens to the child on his way back to your classroom or after they were in their meeting with their mentor, you are legally responsible because the child is in, on your register and it, the child is marked as here. So be careful just for your own protection as a teacher, keep locked in your own data. And I do it on paper because paper can't really be amended retrospectively. So if a student is in the school, but is not in my room, I mark it with a special code in my teacher planner. And that's just to be safe. I know it adds to the admin things you have to do, but sadly, I think we need to self care and protecting ourselves. Now, I want to go on another topic. I want to talk about promises. Um, my students have been asking me, Miss, we really like the um, Stonehenge trip you organized last year. And I did a podcast about it. If you want to listen to it, it's on the Podbean. So can we do another school trip, miss? So I'm trying to organize another school trip. 
but I can't promise I will have the uh, my line manager agreeing. I can't promise I will have enough staff volunteering. I can't promise I can have the budget to hire a coach because hiring a coach is most expensive cost in organizing a school trip because a lot of um, museums are free. I used English Heritage, which lets us come for free. But the problem is the transport. So I can't make promises. Don't tell your students, please do not. I've heard it many times. I've seen other teachers do it. Please do not tell them you're going to take them on a trip unless it's booked and it's ready. Tell them you're going to try to organize a trip for them, but do not promise them a trip because you're not the one who can make it happen on your own. You're not the budget officer. You're not the finance um, officer. So please promise you're going to try, but do not promise them a trip. Now, as I said, it's September. We are still benefiting from the glow of our holidays. Uh, my tan is kind of receding already, but this is the perfect month to reach out to colleagues and ask for help if you want to plan something exciting. So for instance, because I'm a language teacher, I am thinking of the 26th of September, and it's coming very soon. The 26th of September is the European Day for Languages. So if you're an MFL teacher, or if you're not, but you're interested in languages, ask colleagues, send a general email, and ask if anyone wants to organize something with you. I don't have much time because September is a crazy month. So the only thing I'm doing this year is I'm following the Association for Learning a Language and they started a writing competition. So I'm just advising you to check their website, ALL, Association for Learning Languages. And it's a simple written competition. Ask your students or staff to write a little text. Could be two sentences, could be 10, doesn't matter. Ask them to write a little text. The only issue and the only difficulty is that it can't be in English. Yes, I can hear you screaming, what? Not in English? No, it can't be in English because it's about promoting other languages than English. So ask anyone in your staff room or Ask the students if they speak another language or if they're learning another language or if they like another language. You're going to be surprised by the number of students who love Korean because of K-pop. So if they want to do something in Korean, they can do it. Now, the only topic offered by this writing competition is out of the window. So this is the topic. Imagine you're looking through the window you're looking at what's beyond the window. And that's your topic. So I actually look for, looked for poems about this topic. And I found, um, I thought about Guillaume Apollinaire, who was a poet, obviously a French poet. I, I preach for my own parish. Uh, Guillaume Apollinaire, who did calligrams, which is um, a funny way of writing that is in the shape of an object. And then the sentences are about this object. So he did one calligram about the Eiffel Tower. So I was imagining Guillaume Apollinaire looking through his little studio flat window at the Eiffel Tower. 
And I also found um, the um, another um, another poem by um, a, a Mexican poet who is not very famous um, by by the to the students, but he wrote a lovely poem about the view he had from his uh, over his Mexican garden. So just simple sentences in a different language. There is also um, other poets that you can use if you speak Arabic uh, or Urdu or Polish. So it's all open to anyone in education or in schools. Send your little text with an illustration if you feel like drawing something to the ALL, Association for Language Learning. And the entries are accepted until the 12th of October. So you have a long time, you have almost a month to think about a little poem or text about your ideal site out of the window. So that's an easy project to set in motion. Now, after September, we obviously have a very important month for me because I am an advocate for um, Black History Month. I um, also uh, work a lot about anti-racism. So definitely try and ask staff if they're into organizing something with you. I know it's September. We're not thinking so much ahead, but October is coming very soon. Black History Month is essential. There's so many topics you can do about Black History Month. I don't have the time to go through all the ideas, but you can do something in science, you can do something in food tech, you can do something in languages, you can do something in English. Please look at uh, Black History Month resources online and start planning. It does not have to be a difficult project to set in motion. I usually do a writing competition because I'm a, a writer and I love creative writing. What you can ask your students to do is to choose one um, black figure who is not famous enough and deserves to be famous. And then they'd write a short text about it. You put illustration and text and then you collate them all in a PowerPoint. And during an assembly, you go through it. You, you might be surprised by the, the wealth of ideas the children are going to bring. When I did that last time, there were children who were talking about French black athletes and, and French singers and American actors, but not recent modern actors, even old actors who, who I thought they would never have heard of. So please, Ask your students to do the work. You don't need to do it. You just need to give them a deadline. It's as simple as that. Now, um, I know it's only September and we just started properly teaching this week, but Christmas is around the corner. And if you know me, I'm, I don't see Christmas as a religious celebration, but I see Christmas as a kind of naff celebration of, you know, family time. So I love Christmas and um, whether it's Hanukkah or Christmas or any other celebration, you can start thinking about what you're going to do. If it's a Christmas play, if it's an activity play, if, whatever it is, think about it now. Try and place some dates in your calendar because it's going to happen very soon. One thing I would like to focus this year is a decolonized Christmas. 
because that's the topic I'm working on, decolonizing the curriculum. Um, let's get back on that one a bit later. But it's definitely in my diary. Now, that's all you can do from your own desk. You can plan school trips, you can plan to invite uh, people. I mentioned the CND, the Center for Nuclear Disarmament. You can find many, many contributors who are keen to come to schools to show their work, their art. But what can you do inside your school if you want to um, influence the ethos of the school and maybe orientate some of the school ethos so that it's even more inclusive and even more positive and focus on well-being and mental health well you can create your own events i give you an example last year we started it was the first start of the year without um having covid um, precautions so we wanted to make sure our students got the best of their start so we organized a little a little party i mean it wasn't much it was maybe a few french inspired snacks i set up my own french classroom it's it's not a big room there's only enough seats for 32 students i pushed all the tables and chairs we used the digital board to put some music on and the students stayed after school and had a little bit of a dance. They ate lots of chocolate, drank juice, danced, and they had a fab time. Obviously, I stayed a little bit extra time. Just once in a while, it was fine. And you know what? Not all the students came. Some thought it was a bit naff to stay after school to dance and have chocolate biscuits. You know how teenagers can be. Uh, but the ones who stayed had a blast. And it's simple. It doesn't cost more than maybe 20 pounds for the chocolate biscuits. You can also ask the children to bring their own biscuits. Um, but as I said, in my school, we have a lot of children with free school meals. So we provided the food. We had the orange juice, just a bit of music, and it, it made an event. That's as simple as that. Another beautiful thing you can organize, and it was organized by... Um, a colleague of mine who is in charge of the library, the school library. I'm so lucky in my school, we still have a school library. I know there are rare things, libraries in the UK that are disappearing, but please, if you have a school library, use it. It's the most precious treasure ever. So our wonderful school librarian organized a one kind word competition where uh, students were asked to write something about what kindness means to them. And all the entries were read out um, every morning. We have a system where you can um, you can hear someone speak out in all the classrooms. So the the school librarian read the poems every morning, and it was beautiful. And some of the poems were actually really deep and made us question so many things we do and say on a daily basis. So one kind word competition is a simple competition, of course, because my school librarian is amazing. She collated all the poems and had them illustrated by students and printed. And now we have the little books printed and we're going to do a second edition. So this is a simple thing. It just shows when there's one motivated member of staff and we all help in our ways. And we all talked about the One Kind Word competition and we all encouraged our students to, to do something about it. Well, it worked. 
and we have a tangible, concrete result. We have a published collection of poems about gratitude. And the one kind word is amazing to set in place for the school ethos, because now it's becoming part of our language, our school language. So when I see a student who is struggling because they have a difficult home life or because they are not actually very academic and the school environment is not something they're happy with. When I see someone in distress, let's say in my in my in my corridors at school, I think about one kind word and I try and put it in practice. So instead of just saying hello or good morning, I just say, oh, um, I saw you the other day. How are you? Or, or you have a new haircut or just something random that comes to my mind. Just one kind word that shows I noticed a student. I can see life is not easy. And I just want to give a little bit of positivity. And you know what? It works. It's so simple, but it creates a bond. And I think it's improving the whole school. Whenever you can do that, you don't even need to speak if there's too many people in the corridor and, and it's loud already. Just make eye contact, a nod, and maybe a smile, and that's it. You, you are showing the students who are struggling that they matter, that you see them, and it's, it's a human-to-human -human connection. And um, one thing I haven't mentioned yet is teachers' mental health and well-being. There's just today I saw on Twitter there was a teacher who said that she was already struggling with her well-being and she had been in teaching for only three years, but she was thinking, how am I going to get through the year? This obviously hurts to hear. I think anyone who is unhappy at work is um, a tragedy. We should go to work, happy to go to work, because, you know, it's something compulsory most of humanity, most people on this planet have to go to work. It's not a, cho a choice. So it should not be a chore. It should be something fulfilling, something that makes you feel like you're part of something bigger than you. Um, we are a cog in a machine, but we are also part of a system that should make us feel like we're connected and that if we're not there, the machine can't function. I think we saw during the pandemic how important uh, people on the front lines are teachers, postmen, uh, postwomen, firemen, police, uh, nurses, doctors, porters at hospitals, uh, people who work in the shops. Um, we saw how important these people are. And without them, it's the collapse of society. Um, bin men, you know, we know in some cities like Napoli that when there is no bin collection, it is there's no there's no city anymore. It's it's these people matter. So when I see that a teacher is struggling already, it's the first week back of teaching. They should just be thinking, oh, what are the next exciting project I can put in place? They shouldn't be finding it so hard to wake up in the morning. So. What can I do? I can only reach out and offer experienced advice. This is what I try to do in my own life. I try to, to do self-care because you, you can't help others if you don't help yourself first. So my advice to teachers in order to promote their well-being is simple. Please check your timetable and try and set 
a day or two, and I would say day, uh, one day minimum, one day per week when you will leave school as soon as you finish your last lesson. So it might surprise many people, but when students leave the, the, the school at 3.15 or 3.30, depending, most teachers stay for many hours afterwards. Now, once a week, I'm asking any teachers in the UK, try to leave as soon as you're done with your lesson. Tidy your desk, log on those things you need to do. That's about 10 minutes and then leave the school. Don't feel like you are being lazy. Don't feel like people are gonna gossip about you because you leave the school. Don't pay attention to the groups of students who are still outside, <laughs> because there, there's always a group of, some groups of students who are outside the gate. Please, let it just, let it just drop. You go home. And you will realize that actually you have plenty of hours in the afternoon left if you leave when the students are leaving. So make sure you do that once a week minimum. Twice a week would be wonderful, but let's just make it a target. Forget about all the other targets. Make it your target. Once a week you leave after the children have, have left, maximum 10 minutes after the children have left. You should still see some of them outside the gate. Now, stick to it. I know in some weeks you're gonna have parents' evening reports. Oh, I know, I'm very much aware, but please try and make it happen. Do it for yourself and do it for your partner, do it for your own children and do it for your students because a happy teacher makes that classroom shine and makes it a positive, inclusive space where the students are gonna want to come to. I'm gonna say something that might, um, seem daunting but i'm gonna say exercise once a week and i know winter's coming i'm very much aware i'm not someone who would go out for a jog at six in the morning i'm lazy so the way i do it i create moments where i can't avoid exercise so for instance if i have to take my son to a swimming lesson i chose a swimming pool where there is a swimming lane available for other people and then I have to go swim at the same time. Or when my daughter goes to ballet, I make sure there's a yoga class next to it where I can go to a yoga class. You're gonna tell me, what if I can't afford a gym membership? And I'm very much aware. I'm lucky in my school, we have a cheaper mem gym membership via the, um, the school. If you can't, I will advise you to do this. I will advise you to ask members of staff if they want to meet once a week, straight after school, and do a run together. I know my daughter's teachers do that. I see them running uh, outside the school at four o'clock all together. They're not that many, they're just 10 teachers, but I think it's a great staff building opportunity and it's outside school. Um, another thing I do every Wednesday, it's Yoga Wednesday, so I offer to do a yoga class at my school. Anyone can come in, it's for staff only. We are using a drama room where there's carpet on the floor and we have yoga mats uh, lent by the PE teachers. And every Wednesday we do 50 minutes of Ashtanga yoga. It's just part of my routine. I see it as me being in school 
And you know what? Every time I see it coming, I'm like, oh no, I should stay and at my desk and prepare my lesson for tomorrow instead of doing the yoga class. And every time I have that feeling, oh no, I'll just do what I have to do and I'll skip yoga. But I can't because I've got other staff members who are coming for my yoga class. So I have to go and I make my way to that to that drama room and I teach yoga. And you know what? After the yoga lesson, I'm always happier every time. And of course I haven't prepared my lesson, but I know I'll manage. Make an effort of exercising once a week. Now, I did mention working with other staff members. There's, if you're really allergic to exercise, and I, I get you, I understand, just organize another event. Once a term, we have a book club in my school organized by a Spanish teacher. The books are usually, I don't know, the Costa, award or the Femina award or any any sort of awarded book um, this year we're reading um, the gentleman in Moscow which uh, I loved reading and we're going to discuss it there's a cup of tea biscuits and a book and you know what it's wonderful so if this doesn't exist in a, in your school it's September organize it make sure once a term any who is into reading can meet up and share their views on the book. Now, another thing some other colleagues organize is meeting at the pub on a Friday evening. So obviously, whatever rocks your boat, I'm more a crochet kind of reading book kind of person. But if you like going to the pub, go for it. But in moderation, obviously. Now, Another advice I'm going to give to anyone if they want to protect their mental health and their well-being this year, starting from September, is do not work at the weekend. And I'm going to repeat it. Do not work at the weekend. What do I mean by that? I mean, make sure your lesson planning is done during your school hours. And make sure you reuse your lesson plannings from last year. There is no point creating new resources. What you have done is enough. What matters is that you are rested, calm, and you're in your classroom. Creating new lesson plans at the cost of your health, your mental health, your family life is pointless. We want teachers who stay in the classroom who progress in their career, but not at the cost of their health. So you did lessons last year, you can reuse them. Don't beat yourself up. I think we need to change the cultural attitude towards work in this country. Um, it's something that is pushed a lot when we do teach training. There's enough resources on the internet to teach all the children in the world. There's enough activities, exercises, textbooks available online, videos on YouTube to teach every child most of the skills they need to become informed, well-brought-up citizens. Just pull your resources once, but don't try and reinvent the wheel all the time. So do not work at the weekend. Do other things that you're passionate about. This is what I'm doing right now. Talking to you is what I'm passionate about. I don't consider it work. This is different. 
And my last advice for teachers' well-being in September is it's still time to join a club or it's still time to start a new hobby. Now, we know it's going to be a tough winter. We know we have a lot of budget costs piling up. So if it's just about getting um, crochet and buying a little bit of wool or going to a charity shop and finding some, some art craft book, just or, or just go on YouTube and find um, new recipes that you can try at home, anything, but join a group or do a hobby, learn a new skill, do something for yourself. I did talk about the fact that we need to change the culture in this country. And I'll give you an example of what happens in Denmark, uh, where I spent quite a lot of my summer holidays at times. In Denmark, if a worker stays after the normal time when they're supposed to go home, other colleagues are going to be worried. They're going to think this worker is overwhelmed and this worker needs some guidance for time management. So in Denmark, if you stay too long after the time you're supposed to go home, the day after, your manager might have put a leaflet on how to use your time more wisely when you're in your working hours. We need to reach this cultural shift. Sat on being sat at your desk doesn't mean you're being productive. You're just showing that you're there. It doesn't mean you're being productive. So we need to encourage a cultural shift in schools. Teachers do not need to be in the school building unless they're teaching or they have a duty. If they're on duty in the, in the playground, making sure the children are fine, of course, they should be in the building. But if they don't have a lesson and if they haven't got any duties today, they don't need to be in the school. We need to encourage teachers to be able to do extra tuition online. What I mean is I know a lot of teachers who take some of their spare time and stay late after school to help students who want exam practice. I do that once a week with my year 11 classes. Now, why do I have to stay in the building? I can easily do this online and do a Google Meet or a Zoom meeting or a Loom meeting with my students and interact online with them and give them um, tailored support. We need to encourage a different way of seeing teaching. It has to be more flexible. It has to fit in the teacher's life and it doesn't have to be this nine to five diktat that is what used to be happening at the turn of the 20th century. We need to move on from this. It's a cultural shift that is necessary. So all in all, I hope I raised some interesting points today with you. I hope that I gave you some ideas of how to be hopeful and how to start new project despite this difficult start of the year. I'm sorry I painted a very gloomy uh, landscape, um, but we are living, we are going through difficult times and we need to be aware of it because only the informed people can change the present and the future. So even though we are going to face budget difficulties, we can still having, we can still have a school trip or we can still have someone coming into school and bringing a great activity or a great workshop for free for the students.
I remind you of the CND, uh, Center for Nuclear Disarmament. They offer free workshop for students. They bring awareness of how we can make a better world without using nuclear armament. We can also work together as teachers and organize writing competition and little events that if we pepper the whole school calendar are gonna make our year something to look forward to. As teachers, we need plans and projects that make our heart beat faster. We also need to practice self-care. It's okay to say no. It's okay to go home straight after the lesson is finished. You need to protect yourself. We are losing too many teachers. We need happy teachers in the classroom.